How can I know God is real? What does the Bible say about politics? Why does a good God allow suffering? If you have questions about faith, life or culture, don't be afraid to ask. This This is Ask with David Dean. G'day everyone, Dave Dean here. And our question for the week is, did Jesus even exist? On Friday the 17th of October 2014, Aussie historian John Dixon published an ABC opinion piece titled, I'll eat a page from my Bible if Jesus didn't exist. Expanding further, he went on to write, quote, Contrary to recent atheist claims, Jesus did live. I will eat a page of my Bible if someone can find me just one full professor of ancient history, classics, or New Testament in an accredited uni who thinks otherwise, end quote. Well, to date, John is yet to eat a page from his Bible. Now, just to clarify, John is talking here about the historical existence of Jesus, not necessarily the belief in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And in this episode, it's that Jesus of history, not the Jesus of the Christian faith that we're considering. Obviously, the Jesus of history is necessary for the Jesus of the Christian faith. If there was no historical person named Jesus, there would be no faith in him. But from an academic angle, this distinction is important. Um, We need to try and understand what are the historical reasons for believing in his existence. And from that basis, then, that we can go on to ask further questions about whether or not he indeed was the son of God. So what does Dixon's unmet challenge tell us? Well, at least that John is yet to hear of any credentialed professor of ancient history, classics, or the New Testament at any accredited institution who denies the existence of the historical Jesus. But that's not to say that there aren't still books and podcasts and you know, blogs out there on the internet dedicated to this view that Jesus did not in fact exist. Now, this is a extoic view or well out of the mainstream, and it's commonly known as Jesus mythicism, the view that the person and story of Jesus possesses no substantial claim to historical fact, or if he did, he had virtually nothing to do with the founding of Christianity. Hence, the Jesus believed by Christians today is but an invention, a myth of some sort, sown in the hearts of Christians by misplaced faith. So what can we say by way of response to Jesus' mythicism? Well, again, I just want to re-impress that John is yet to eat a page from his Bible. It's still fully intact. Indeed, there are some academics who will go so far as to say that we should avoid even giving answers to questions like, did Jesus even exist? Lest we lend credibility to Jesus' mythicism. Consider, for example, the force of these words written by the 20th century German professor of New Testament, Rudolf Boltmann. Quote, of course, the doubt as to whether Jesus really existed is unfounded and not worthy of refutation. No sane person can doubt that Jesus stands as founder behind the historical movement whose first distinct stage is represented by the oldest Palestinian community. But how far that community preserved an objectively true picture of him and his message is another question, end quote. Now, Boltman was himself quite a well-known liberal thinker committed to demythologizing supernatural elements of the New Testament text. He believed that only faith in the proclamation of Christ was necessary for Christian faith, not any particular facts regarding the historicity of Jesus. And yet, for all of that, he still thought that Jesus' mythicism was not even worthy of refutation. 
But here we are in the 21st century and this question has been asked, admittedly on the back of a previous episode where I was talking about the difference between belief in Santa and belief in Jesus. So I'm not going to be quite as dismissive as Boltman. Indeed, we have reason to not because a recent survey here in Australia has found that in late 2021, only half of Australians, or more precisely 49% of us, view Jesus as a real historical person. So silly or not, this is an incredibly significant question, especially for us here down under. So by way of response, I want to take a little longer here and give two angles on this question, from history first and then from the arguments for and against the Jesus mythicist viewpoint. So first, a brief history of Jesus mythicism. I think it's important to lay out some historical context here before diving right into an answer. And there are different ways that we could map out the origins of Jesus mythicism, but I'm going to choose to go back here to the Middle Ages and early Renaissance era, where we see some hermetic occult orders arguing for the first time for the complementarity of Christianity and paganism, ancient paganism, upon the basis of so-called parallel accounts between the different belief sets. But any momentum gained in this study was short-lived as the Reformation forged ahead and people began to read the original texts of Scripture for themselves. But the view of Jesus' mythicism, it did see resurgence around the time of the French Revolution in the 18th century with ideas concerning Gnosticism, mystery cults, and dying and rising gods spreading to the rest of continental Europe, to the UK, and to America – from philosopher of theology Bruno Bauer in Germany to Freemason Godfrey Higgins in the UK to the founding father Thomas Paine in the US. But by the mid to late 19th century, any momentum enjoyed by Jesus' mythicism was once again brought to ground, this time by the pen of one man, Albert Schweizer. Schweizer was a polymath, a Lutheran, a theologian, organist, musicologist, writer, humanitarian, philosopher, even a medical practitioner who went from being basically a scholar of Bach to doctor of New Testament before finally becoming a medical doctor to help lepers in Africa. A truly astonishing man. Channeling his brilliance onto this question, he single-handedly bulldozed Jesus' mythicism in a book called Quest for the Historical Jesus, where he was scathing of thinkers who were projecting their enlightenment values onto the historical sources concerning the person and work of Jesus. And his conclusion was that Jesus, the Jesus that these Jesus mythicists were proposing, is, quote, a figure designed by rationalism, endowed with life by liberalism, and clothed by modern theology in a historical garb, end quote. Well, from Schweizer right through to the 20th century, Jesus' mythicism limped along as a pet theory of both village atheists and conspiracy theorists, finding minimal support in the Soviet Union, where it was embraced by Lenin, as well as some black studies programs in the 60s and 70s. Only towards the end of the 20th century was there a change of tide. The internet and social media saw once conspiracy theorist subcultures emerge from the shadows to the light of popular culture in films by Oliver Stone and books like those by Dan Brown. And today, well, it seems like there are just endless books and docos and podcasts with new sensationalistic mythicist views lending from the superficially plausible to completely insane On the very, very far outlier fringes of academia, we would talk about people such as Robert M. Price, 
Dan Barker, Richard Carrier, and even our very own Aussie lecturer at Sydney University, Raphael Otasta, as people who continue to peddle doubt despite overwhelming reason to the contrary as to whether or not Jesus existed. So that's a bit of the outline of the history of this idea of Jesus mythicism. But what then are the arguments for and against the reality of Jesus as a historical person? That's the second angle here that I'd like to consider. The motivations for Jesus' mythicism are wide and varied, but most of them can be traced back to the threefold argument put forward by Bruno Bauer. Questioning the testimony of Paul's letters is the first, the historical reliability of the Gospels, the second, and finally the lack of testimony concerning Jesus in non-Christian sources from the first and second centuries. First, on the testimony of Paul's letters, Jesus' mythicists have argued that the lack of biographical information Paul contains in his letters about Jesus casts serious doubt on him existing as a historical person. At best, Paul seems to just paint Jesus as some sort of celestial heavenly figure, which believers have at a later date historicized back into the gospel. Take lecturer from Sydney Uni, Raphael Atastra again, as an example of this view. He argues on the basis of Galatians 1.12, where Paul says, quote, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, end quote. Atastra argues on the basis of this verse that Paul rules out all human sources of knowledge that he had concerning the person of Jesus. Well, unfortunately, Latasta's eccentric claim is shipwrecked on 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, the earliest datable statement of Christian belief that we have concerning the person of Jesus that happens to be written by Paul with unmistakable dependence upon human sources of knowledge. If you want to fact check, why don't you take some time now to look it up for yourself. But for another point, Paul's purpose in writing his letters wasn't to meet the criteria of 21st century skeptics like Latasta. They were written to address all manner of social, practical, and doctrinal issues in the course of founding the early church. And yet along the way, contrary to Jesus' mythicists, we have unmistakable statements of Jesus' historical personage in the letters of Paul. Take Galatians 4.4 as an example. Paul says Jesus was, quote, born of a woman, born under the law, end quote. Or Romans 1.4 where Paul says, Jesus was the seed of David, according to the flesh, declared the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, end quote. When you continue to read through Paul's letters, you can see for yourself that there is a near insurmountable mountain of historical data that one has to push away to the side before the celestial theory of Jesus' mythicism can be taken seriously. And we haven't even begun to consider the historicity of the Gospels or the book of Acts. All in all, the problem with this first argument put forward by Jesus' mythicists from Paul's letters is that it is ultimately an argument from silence, claiming that because we don't have a specific statement from Paul about Jesus being a historical person, that therefore we have doubt to believe that he actually was. But that just seems to ignore the clear historical statements of Paul about Jesus' person and teachings. And it also uses a double standard because while we don't have any explicit statements from Paul saying that Jesus was a historical person, we don't have any explicit statements from Paul saying Jesus was a celestial being. So why do we argue for one and not the other? Here we move now to the second argument often put forward by Jesus' mythicists concerning the reliability of the four Gospels. 
It is often argued here on the grounds of comparative religious studies that the accounts we have in the four Gospels are entirely mythological. Jesus' mythicists argue that on the weight of the parallels between the Gospel narratives and other various Jewish and pagan myths, we don't have any good reason to really see Jesus as a historical person, but rather just a heavenly copy, paste, and compile from pagan and Jewish antiquity. Some have even suggested that the Egyptian god Horus shares so much in common with Christ that the two refer to the same mythological tradition. Now, without opening up the can of Jesus and Horus worms, I'd simply encourage anyone listening to, again, fact check by looking up the original sources here to compare the accounts for yourselves. I'm yet to personally read or hear of any Egyptologist who subscribes to every alleged parallel between Jesus and Horus. And to the contrary, time and time again, scholarship has dismissed these kinds of parallels as a parallelomania, distorting the evidence and following through with logical fallacies which try to cut a mythical Jesus out of whole cloth. To the contrary, what we have in the New Testament are four interdependent gospel accounts, each based on earlier traditions. I mean, let's just take the earliest gospel that we have, Mark, as an example. Mark was written around 70 AD or so, some 40-ish years after the death of Jesus. And it seems to have some sort of underlying textual tradition, whether that was oral or written, that somehow fits within that 40-year gap. So the question now comes, regardless of exactly where or what that tradition influenced in the earliest Gospel of Mark was, how can we account for it? Historians have noted that there is simply not enough time for the development of myth or legend to influence or expunge the historical fact of a movement, a movement that was away from the Galilee and Judean countryside where eyewitnesses yet lived to the events described by the accounts. The interval of time between the events themselves and recording of them in the Gospels, it's just too short to have allowed the memory of what had or had not actually happened to be erased. Nor, moreover, is there any evidence on offer in the early church for a Christ mythicist Christology that would lend support to this argument. Religious movements need founding, and it seems difficult to explain Christianity apart from a real historical person named Jesus, who was referred to as Christ. And now to the third argument often put forward by Jesus mythicists on the lack of testimony concerning Jesus in non-Christian sources. We have, for example, one account of this in the Australian rationalist publication titled The Origins of Christianity from Jewish Revolution to a State Religion. In this article, the author asks the question, quote, if Jesus was so important, how come there is no reference to Jesus in a letter from Pilate to Tiberius, end quote. Well, as historians know, we don't have any existing letters between Pilate and Tiberius. So what we have here is just a classic case of the Dunning-Kruger effect. The less you know about something, the more you think you know, while the more you know, the less you think you know. That's a theory worth knowing. This argument just lacks knowledge of how history is done. To completely reject testimony on the basis of a lack of evidence is not reasonable. Lacking any openness to the testimony of what actually happened, namely the information that we have in the Gospels, is intellectually irresponsible. The absence of evidence is not evidence for its absence. In the words of Professor Graham Stanton of Cambridge University, quote, As every student of ancient history is aware, it is an elementary error to suppose that the unmentioned did not exist, end quote. And furthermore, this argument on the lack of testimony concerning Jesus in non-Christian sources seems to make light of the non-Christian testimony that we do indeed have from Roman Jewish sources. 
Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny the Younger, Flavius Josephus, the Jewish Talmud, these early non-Christian sources corroborate the basic facts concerning the life and death of the historical Jesus and his followers. In addition to these three primary arguments adduced by Jesus' mythicists, we could add other minority arguments such as misquotations from the early church fathers or, again, those conspiracy theories um, cast into the ahistorical mould of a Dan Brown Da Vinci Code drama. But all in all, I think we have enough here to show that on account of its methods and arguments, Jesus' mythicism, the view denying the existence of the historical Jesus, is a view that should not be taken seriously outside of the confines, perhaps, of the internet. Jesus' mythicism consists, in my view, of spurious speculation founded upon outdated, dismissed comparisons, defended by any number of excuses, evidencing a dogmatic kind of confirmation bias. As G.K. Chesterton once suggested, don't remove a fence until you understand why it was put there to begin with. That to me, is perhaps the knockdown logic against Jesus' mythicism. In pulling up stumps of the historical Jesus, it fails to give any adequate alternative for the rise of Christianity apart from the historical person of Jesus. Whether or not Jesus is the incarnation of God, who has come into this world to offer salvation from sins through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, is one question. Whether he even existed as a historical man named Jesus who founded the Christian religion is another. And on this latter point, it doesn't even take Christians to make the case. Some of the best critics of religion out there today, such as agnostic Bart Ehrman, have written, quote, He, Jesus, certainly existed, as virtually every competent scholar of antiquity, Christian or non-Christian, agrees, end quote. The fact is, all of the historical data shows that a historical person named Jesus fits with the first century Judaism that we know in such a way that just dominates any claim to the contrary that Jesus was a later invention written back into the gospel accounts. So practically now, where does all of this leave us? Well, again, only 49% of Aussies supposedly believe in the existence of Jesus as a real historical person. As Albert McKenney has written in his helpful book, A Quick Survey of Jesus' Mythicism, New Paradigm or Pseudo-Scholarship, quote, how long do we expect this to go on? Is there a point where Jesus' mythicism will collapse from the weight of its own silliness? Probably, but that will not occur for some time in the distant future. In academia, one might expect a mythicist here and there. That has always happened, but not any major swing will move in their direction. The clear errors of the current crop of Jesus mythicists are too well documented and their conduct is too childish to get much of a hearing in academia. The movement could be cut short if local churches took the time to teach their members how to better answer these and stopped trying to compete with HBO for entertainment value, but I do not expect that to change anytime soon. A church educated on their faith and how to defend it would see through the nonsense quickly. Even just one who knew the Bible well enough would be able to counter many of the arguments presented by mythicists, such as the distortions of Paul, without much effort. Until the time the church once again takes the faith seriously, we can expect Jesus' mythicism to do well, particularly among former fundamentalists. End quote. For my part, I just want to say to you, my listeners, that at the very least, the question of Jesus' existence merits your consideration. In the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 20, no matter how many the promises of God are, they have become yes 
by means of Christ. Friends, if we don't get Jesus, we don't get God, period. That's the Christian claim. May we all weigh the significance of the distinction in the question Jesus put to his followers in Mark 8, 28 through 29. He said, first, who do people say that I am? There's the historical Jesus question. Does he exist? Who is he? Where is he from? But that's not all that Jesus asked his followers. He turned and he said again, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? I stand with Peter and say, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you have a question about Christian beliefs, theology, doctrine, philosophy or culture? Don't be afraid to ask. Go to drcdean.com forward slash ask. That's Dean with an E.